This is Tell Me Straight. I'm Yasmin Parry and I'm here with Will Ockenden. And today we're talking about politics. But stay with us. It'll be it'll be really good. It's our first <laughs> politics chat, really. Yeah. I love Australian politics. Hashtag Ozpol. And it really all goes back to this speech that the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull gave in London. He was receiving a little prize. This week, yep. And He's uh, being lauded over there by a think tank. Uh, but he said some really interesting stuff that has been picked up by the Australian media. Everyone's gotten very excited about it. He said that Robert Menzies, who was the founder of the Liberal Party, the modern Liberal Party as it is today. Liberal what, Party Daddy. Liberal Party Daddy. <laughs> as we like to call him. And he's also Australia's longest serving Prime Minister. Yes. He said that Robert Menzies never intended the Liberal Party to be conservative. He said the sensible centre was the place to be. Now, this is making waves, as you can imagine, in Australia. And it goes back to a debate that politicians have been having in the Liberal Party for a while now over what the Liberal Party is supposed to be. It's a struggle for the soul of the Liberal Party. Tony Abbott has been weighing into this debate recently as well. So we wanted to get into that. Yeah, and we wanted to find out who Robert Menzies was, what he stood for. Was he a progressive? Was he a conservative? How do you even rule that line? How has the Liberal Party changed over the years? So we got ABC's political reporter Stephen Jedgetts in to have a chat with us. Hi, Stephen. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Now, look, let's go right back to the start. Who is Robert Menzies? All right. Robert Menzies, Australia's longest serving Prime Minister. He had two stints in the job. Uh, The first time was briefly just at the beginning of the war, uh, around 1939 to about 1941. And then again, 1949 to 1966. So that's 17 years in power there. A huge stretch of time. By, By contemporary political standards, that is forever. Oh, That's an age. Howard wishes. Yeah, well, Howard, Howard, you know, Howard seems to us like he governed forever, but compared to Menzies, he was a flicker in time almost. I mean, this is a, a bloke who just dominated the political landscape in the 50s. He became almost synonymous with politics. He was by far and away the most dominant figure, the most important figure you know, in the political scene for more than a decade. And he, in many ways, is the person who created effectively the modern Liberal Party, which by most measures is the most successful modern political party in Australian history. So he's a big, big, big guy. He's an important person in the history of Australia, but he's an even more important person in the history of the Liberal Party. And that's why you've got politicians at the moment within the Liberal Party sort of tussling over his legacy and who can claim it. It took him a a, a couple of goes to get to the formation of the Liberal Party, though, didn't it? Because in the first term, he he wasn't the Liberal Party as as such, he was in a different party. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was he was the first elected leader of the UAP. Um, oh, we can go, <laughs> we can go into a lot of a lot of detail here, but yeah, he was basically trying to cobble together a coalition of of different parties. And what he recognises that the current set of parties that existed didn't really fit the bill for your average conservative voter. And he wanted a party that would basically be the home of small business people, as well as a party for people who were uh, perhaps more well-off, but who were striving. He made a famous speech about the forgotten people. And these were largely small business people who he said wouldn't be neglected by both the major parties. The forgotten Uh, people speech, as you just mentioned, that was, uh, I think, on like a radio broadcast. It was using the uh, the big medium at the time. Radio, radio was TV, radio was 
was TV, Twitter and everything sort of bundled up into one. So in a sense, was it sort of, that was his pitch at that point in time to, to be the father of the, um, what became the modern Liberal Party in a way, in a way that what we're seeing now, uh, just to draw a line to modern times, to what we're seeing between, um, Malcolm Turnbull as, as his speech, as we mentioned at the start and predecessor, Tony Abbott. Yeah, so what what's happening at the moment is that everyone is basically trying to claim the legacy of Menzies because this guy is, you know, is up there in the pantheon and because there is a battle at the moment for the soul of the Liberal Party, particularly in places like New South Wales, everyone is basically trying to co-opt Menzies as, as part of their argument. So what Turnbull has done is he has got a speech, which I think is from 1967, I meant to double check the date, which Menzies gave and he, he used this line, he says, we took the name liberal, and he's quoting Menzies here, because we were determined to be a progressive party, willing to make experiments, in no sense reactionary, but believing in the individual, his right and his enterprise, and rejecting the socialist panacea. A panacea, you know, socialist dream world, uh, which uh, which the Labor Party was was forging. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> Menzies said the Labor Party was pursuing at that stage. Now, Turnbull is taking that and saying, look, Menzies is basically a guy like me. He's got centrist instincts. He's not afraid to use the word progressive. He's not conservative in the true sense. He's actually a guy that's cut in my cloth. And when he uses the phrase, the sensible centre, he's actually quoting, funnily enough, Tony Abbott. That's a a phrase that Tony Abbott has thrown around. What's happened recently, of course, is Tony Abbott has moved away from what he used to call the sensible centre, and he's advocating a new set of policies, which are more conservative. Uh, He's starting to say things like, look, are we we convinced about the merits of mass immigration, for example? Maybe Maybe there are questions over that. Look, the, the, some of the things that we're doing with energy policy are simply too adventurous. We need to bring it back to basics and build more coal-fired power stations to bring down the cost of living. Look, we we, we, need, we need to look overseas and look at what people, people like Donald Trump and realise there's this great rage in the in the vast mass of people who feel shut out from you know by urban elites, and we need to give voice to that. Now, what Turnbull's doing is he's saying, look, all of that is fine, but it's not the party that Menzies imagined. Menzies was a much more centrist, perhaps even a progressive person than uh, than Tony Abbott is at the moment. And that's why this speech is so interesting. Do you think that's fair to say that Menzies was a progressive? Is, is Turnbull right? Well, he's quoting Menzies saying a progressive party. So by our standards, no, absolutely not. What did Menzies believe in? He believed, even though he was you know, articulating you know, a, a comparatively liberal, smaller liberal approach, his vision of the economy is much more controlled. He's, we're talking the 50s here. Australia's economy is much more tightly regulated than it is today. So by any stretch of the imagination, you couldn't really call him progressive. On social issues? No, absolutely not. You wouldn't really call him a progressive either. Again, if you're trying to use contemporary standards, he was. this is a time before when homosexuality was still criminalised in Australia, for example. <laughs> You've got an extremely monocultural society. You've got an attitude towards social mores and, and, and marriage and the like, which by contemporary standards would be seen as incredibly conservative. So no, he's not progressive if you're comparing him to people today. But could you make an argument that he's progressive when you look, you know, when you look at you know what the Labor Party was advocating at that time, which was basically an embrace to some extent of uh, a world, you know, bound by hierarchy, trade unions, centralised wage fixing, renationalisation, 
well, you could make an argument that at that point he was a progressive. Malcolm Turnbull and Tony Abbott are sending pot shots at each other across the bow. Is this the tussle over what the future of the Liberal Party should be? So, yeah, to some extent it is. So what's happening at the moment, particularly in New South Wales, is that the Liberals are looking at people like Corey Bernardi and Pauline Hanson and they are really anxious that their base is getting absolutely devoured or could become absolutely devoured. You've got a large number, not a majority, but you've got a large number of people in the Liberal Party who say, look, I do not like the way the contemporary party is going. You have huge, massive surges, though, of course, in France, this didn't really quite work out, but you've got a huge surge in uh, in, in the right vote overseas, populist leaders like Donald Trump coming to power. You see Brexit in the UK. You see a whole mass of people who who are looking at the at the sort of general compact which has been struck by contemporary political leaders, which is broadly speaking, relatively free markets and relatively free movement of people. And they're deeply uneasy about that. They feel like they're the losers in this situation. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly here, but they're the people who are getting potentially taken away by people like Corey Bernardi, like Pauline Hanson. They're the people that Tony Abbott's saying, we've got to try and keep in the tent. And Menzian liberalism, and we can get into a debate about what the hell liberalism is, that might <laughs> send everyone to sleep. But Menzian liberalism in its pared back form, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to bring it down to its essentials here. Um, the idea, this, this simple emphasis on individual rights and individual enterprise, that doesn't cut it. It made huge amounts of sense, that argue, back in the in the 50s, where you were looking at this incredibly sclerotic economy, you know, controlled by trade unions and incredibly hidebound society in many ways. In that sense, advocating a progressive approach to try and unleash small business, to unleash enterprise, um, you know, the spirit of enterprise, to try and roll back trade union control. In that context, it made sense. In the current context, you're taking a compact which has been taken up and and that is that is curdled in some circumstances, and you're presenting it to people like it's the solution, and people are no longer happy with that. That's the argument that people on the right are, are, are mounting. So why yeah why is Malcolm Turnbull over? in the UK making these statements now? Like, is this, I saw a headline saying that he's stumbling back to the centre because I suppose the the broad view was that he was beholden to this right wing of his party, the Conservatives within it holding Malcolm Turnbull to where they would like to see the Liberal Party because he's just got such a small majority in Parliament and he sort of needs to, needs to, um, to listen to them. So there's certainly some red lines for Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah. Um, you know, same-sex marriage is one of them. There are people in the party room who say, if you try and bring on a conscience vote on same-sex marriage, that's it. That is, you know, the Conservatives won't wear that. That's the end of it. You could point to, um, you know, you could point to immigration policy and citizenship. The allegation from people uh, on the left of politics, Labor Party, the Greens and others, is that uh, that some of the policies that he's inv- unveiled cracking down on citizenship and tightening it up, you know, that they were basically written for him by the by the right. I don't know if that's quite true, incidentally, but, you know, that's the narrative. And it's it's certainly true that there are certain things that, that Turnbull can't do as a result of the right without, without provoking an enormous fight. But more recently, he actually has been, I think you could say, pivoting a little bit to the centre. Look at the energy policy. You know, that's him trying to hammer out a compromise, which was pretty, you know, unsavoury to a lot of people on the right wing of his party. It's not not a carbon trading scheme. It's not something that's going to provoke a war. But, you know, by by suggesting this new mechanism for, for controlling pollution, that that still isn't, that's not what people on the right want. 
similarly, you can uh, you can look at what he's doing with schools funding. He's basically offering more money to schools, and the deal was you know pretty unpalatable to a lot of Catholic schools. That irritated a lot of people. In both those instances, you can say, oh, he's hammering out a he's hammering out a middle ground, which makes a lot of sense. Now. This speech, I don't know, when did he agree to give it? I, I, I have no idea. Was it uh, a deliberate choice at this point in the political cycle to sort of launch a rhetorical defence of moderation at a time where he seems to be tacking back towards the centre? Maybe. Was it simply a, a, a speech that gives voice to his deep political instincts that was simply given at a, at, at a time without a whole heap of thought, without anticipating how much pickup it would get back in Australia? Possibly. It's hard to say. But it certainly gives a bit more rhetorical ballast to this idea that Turnbull is moving back towards the middle ground, the middle ground that he probably has to, to some extent, reclaim to be successful. And let's go back to Tony Abbott. I mean, he's criticised the government for moving too far to the left. He's come up with a five-point plan for saving the party, abolishing the renewable energy target, cutting immigration, a bunch of other things. What's his plan? What's his end game here? Does he is is it a move for power, or is he just inserting himself into the political debate? So it's really hard to read anyone's mind in politics, yeah, um, <laughs> and it's really difficult to read uh, Tony Abbott's mind. So I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll go through a couple of things that he might be doing because they're, they're sort of our best guess at this stage. Now, one possibility, and this is the one that Abbott is sort of articulating, is that he is concerned with the direction of the Liberal Party, leaving aside about whether who is you know true to men his legacy or not, he feels that Turnbull is basically the personification of small L liberalism, cosmopolitanism that people are that people are unhappy with at the moment, and he thinks that these grand bargains, these big compromises that Turnbull is hammering hammering is hammering out at the moment, are basically going to drive more people away to Cory Bernardi and Pauline Hanson. So that that could be that's one possibility. He's trying to save the party from Malcolm Turnbull, save it from itself, allow it to reconnect to the base, to energise the membership, and give it a shot at winning the next election. That's the generous one. The less generous assessment, which is one that the Prime Minister's office is pretty convinced of, is that this is simply an attempt to blow up Malcolm Turnbull, even though Tony Abbott must be aware that his chances of reclaiming the leadership are slim to none. He is simply doing everything he can to destroy the man who stripped the job off him. And it's an act of rage. It's an act of anger. It's an act of resentment. It's an act of revenge. That's how it could also be seen. Now, which of those is true? I honestly don't know. Only Tony Abbott knows the answer to that. It could perhaps be a combination of both. And um, on this debate as well, there was uh, Nick Greiner, who's now the, the new federal president of the Liberal Party, used to yeah. be the uh, uh, the Premier of New South Wales. What um, What is, how does it actually, before we get into what he was saying and his arguments, which align very closely to what Turnbull's been saying, what is the difference between the president of the Liberal Party and the, the Prime Minister? How does that sort of work? Sorry, the difference between Griner and the PM in terms of what they do. Yeah, yeah. so like the president yeah. of the Liberal Party, the federal president. Right. Like, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't quite understand. Yeah, no, basically, so utterly different. So Griner is basically the head uh, of the organisational wing, along with a bloke called Andrew Hurst, who's taken another really important position. So he is basically the guy who looks after the actual Liberal Party. That's got nothing to do with the Liberal government. This is the party structure. This is the organisation that manages membership, manages volunteers, gets people out to vote, manages pre-selections, all of that. And at a 
and this is at the liberal federal level as well, so a lot of that goes to the states, but he's actually in charge of the party structure itself, the Liberal Party, whereas Turnbull's responsibility, well, fundamentally is to the party room and to the party, uh, is to the government of Australia. So Griner looks after, Nick Griner, Andrew Hurst and others look after the way the party runs to allow Turnbull to get elected into office, and Turnbull does what he does in office. It's moderately influential, I think you could say, but it's not an, an enormously powerful position. But he had some really interesting things to say today, you're right. Yeah, um, and, and what his main point was that government is never really won from the edges. It's always won from the centre. That's right. Yeah, so this is this is absolutely on page with Turnbull. Is that a coincidence? A coincidence with the speech, you mean? I don't know. Um, Griner's a, a he was Premier of New South Wales for a long time and he was a he was a small L liberal, yeah? Like Turnbull, cut in Turnbull's mould. Um, not particularly doctrinaire. Uh, small L liberal instincts, socially fairly liberal um, and an economic dry. So someone who believes that, you know, markets should be allowed to do their thing. I don't know whether his intervention today was was time to coincide with, with Turnbull's speech uh, or not. Uh, it could well have been. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I don't know if it was that coordinated. But he is certainly a Turnbull man rather than an Abbott man. And he's already had a go at uh, at Tony Abbott saying that his constant interventions are basically what's wrecking the Liberal Party's prospects of winning the next election. He also blamed the media, incidentally. We, we spend too much time, well, he sort of said the media's understandable reflex to report uh, on conflict. So perhaps we're part of the problem, Will. We're not part of the solution. We're always part of the problem. That's, that's fine. You get <laughs> that's used to job. that. Thank you very much for joining us today and running us through Politics 101, Liberal Politics 101, <laughs> yeah, Robert Menzies 101, everything. Much, much appreciated. Thanks for having me. This is Tell Me Straight. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Stephen Jejets. He's great. You can find him on Twitter. You can Don't... see him on the telly. You can hear him on the radio. You can hear us in the ABC Radio app and on Apple iTunes. Subscribe now, tell everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.